When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We're going to be talking with the Queen of Halloween, Leslie Bannatyne. Leslie has written extensively about Halloween, uh, has talked about it, has appeared on television, and um, basically knows all there is to know. Leslie, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here tonight. Thank you very much. I'm psyched to be here. How does somebody get the, what I would consider to be very enviable title of Queen of Halloween? <laughs> it's nothing that I, I put forth myself. It's something that occasionally comes at me. But what it is is just spending the last 30 years or so researching Halloween and watching it and enjoying it and researching it. So you've done that just on your own. You've been recognized for it. Somebody gave you the title of Queen of Halloween. But I would say I you're probably pretty proud of it. I would be. I'd be very proud of that. I love it. Who else, You know, who doesn't like to be royalty? <laughs> what, is, what is it about the growing fascination? And I really do believe it's growing. I mean, I, Halloween was a pretty big deal when I was a kid. You know, we all dressed up in our you know costumes, tended to be some kind of plastic mask and some really cheap th- thing that we threw over our clothes and ran around, trick-or-treated. And we enjoyed it. But it seems to me today there is a far bigger and greater interest in this observance. What is this fascination in America with Halloween? I think it has to do with a couple of different things. From how you describe your trick-or-treating, I'm guessing you were out in the 60s and 70s. Is that It was the 70s. Right? Yeah, it was the 70s. Yeah. Um, I think since then, adults started coming back into the holiday, and whole, uh, which meant that many generations could celebrate it in different ways. And I think that the reason it attracted adults again are a few. One is nostalgia. The kids who grew up during the golden age of trick-or-treating, who mm. just loved it, um, didn't really want to stop. And so those kids grow up, they get into their 20s, and they start throwing Halloween parties, or they continue on into their 30s, they have kids, they dress up with the children and go out trick-or-treating. So there's one part nostalgia. It's just something about Halloween that's, I don't know, running around in the dark in a costume, getting candy. There's a certain kind of freedom in it that that it's really fun to try to recapture. So there's that. But then there's the whole idea of Halloween getting a little bit more um, dark and adult as the decades go on. Horror movies come in that are Halloween, for example, set on Halloween and kind of turns the idea of this trick-or-treating candy costume holiday into something a little bit more violent or bloody. Um which brings a lot of older teens and adults back into Halloween because there's a huge amount of horror fans, and all those horror fans could then become fans of Halloween. And you start seeing these um, Halloween parks and haunted parks um, erupting everywhere where adults can go and see several haunted houses, and, you know, 
drink beer. It's all, it's just exploded as far as how many people can celebrate it. So it's a little bit that it's darker and more adult, and it's a little bit nostalgia, and it's a lot commerce. So <laughs> once business started to figure out how much money there was in Halloween, um, there was a lot more stuff to buy. And Halloween kind of followed the same revenue streams as Christmas. So, you know, Halloween cards, Halloween outdoor decorations, lights, even Halloween trees. So there was a lot more available to celebrate with and much more accessible. It's interesting because I think, um, and this is just an anecdotal observation, but it seems to me that the Halloween decorations are starting to eclipse the Christmas decorations, at least in many places that I've visited. So I can understand completely what you're saying there. And nostalgia, you mentioned that word. That's a huge motivator for people. And I don't know if, you know, it's kind of uh, for a while a baby baby boomer thing, um, but it's kind of transcended those generations. Nostalgia drives a lot of what we do, doesn't it? It does. And and nostalgia, I, I, I'm not sure where you physically are in the world. What part of the country are you in? I am not far from you. I'm actually in Cooperstown, New York, upstate New York. All right, right. I know Cooperstown. Okay, so that you know when late October comes, the light changes, the wind changes, the temperature changes. Oh, yeah. And there's, the, there's a feeling out there that everything's kind of active. <laughs> and I think that also feeds into this sense of nostalgia of being a kid and being out at night like that. There's, there's a whole emotional thing that comes with the change in the weather that, that drives Halloween nostalgia to some extent. And then to another extent, it's the visuals. I mean, there are people out there who collect very expensive vintage Halloween stuff. It's beautiful. But, you know, things made in the 30s and 40s and 50s um, that you can find if you're lucky on eBay or are recreated by beautiful artists. But it's all Halloween past. And it's kind of trying to recapture that orange, warm, kind of windy feeling that we had when we were growing up. I um I happen to know a little bit about this nostalgia thing because I run a, a series of conventions that are uh, specifically horror film conventions called Scaricon and uh, frequently you know we play on nostalgia we bring in celebrities that are based on nostalgic television shows whatever it happens to be and it really really drives people to uh, not just not just um, enjoy themselves but it gives them uh, kind of a grasp on their childhood it allows them to for a few moments to kind of remember the feelings that you have i remember those feelings when i was watching a particular show as a kid uh you know, you, those simple pleasures don't really exist in adulthood as they did in childhood. And that's what nostalgia brings back to us. How long, how long has what we know as Halloween today, the way we observe it today, how long has that existed? Is that the way it's always been here, particularly in the United States? Well, especially in the United States, it's one of our youngest holidays which is interesting because it's a very old holiday. <clears throat> but the one that we celebrate in America that we would recognize didn't really erupt here until after the Civil War. So that makes it younger than just about every other holiday that we celebrate now of the standard ones, you know, not, not the Mother's Day or Father's Day, but Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, and all that. It was after the Civil War when... Um, there was an influx of Irish and Scottish immigrants who may have celebrated Halloween back in northwestern Europe, who brought maybe a few traditions or folklore with them. But there was also this glut 
of newspapers and magazine articles about this curious little holiday called Halloween that was celebrated, excuse me, mostly in Scotland. And Americans at that particular time in our history were really interested in things that were rural, like going back to a past that was more pure, maybe, (laughs) because this is our first industrial societies, and they loved things that were country or rural. Halloween seemed to be a rural holiday. They also liked things that were exotic, and to them, Highland Scotland was fairly exotic. And they were obsessed at that point in our history with ghosts. And so it was after the Civil War when so many people had lost so many members of their family, and not only lost them, but didn't know where they were. Um, People bodies were lost in the yeah. Civil War. Everyone lost someone. So there was an interest in, in ghosts in the other world. And where is my son? Where is my husband? Is he coming back? Is someone taking care of him? Is he dead? So these three things kind of combined in, in the late 1800s, and people started to celebrate Halloween-themed parties. It was just something they latched onto and enjoyed for all of those reasons. And then that just grew over the course of the 20th century into the great big popular holiday that it is now. I um, I want to just touch briefly on something you said there, because I don't think we in our modern culture can truly appreciate what folks went through after the Civil War. I mean, in many cases, you know, uh, all the boy, the male uh sons would leave the home and maybe the father would go too, and they'd go off to fight this war. And there was no communication other than, um, you know, correspondence, written letters. And then they just didn't come home. You you had no idea what had happened to your family members. And uh, so you're right. There was a huge spiritual movement that uh, um, arose out of that. uh, Well, there was a lot of grief and a lot of, um, curiosity and misunderstanding of what was going on. So you're saying that that coupled with um, some traditions from uh, immigrant families kind of created the perfect storm to create uh, this movement that we now celebrate is probably the second biggest holiday of the year. That's right. That's right. And I would say that more people read about Halloween than actually had somebody that they knew that celebrated Mm. it because it was... all these magazines and newspapers that popped up in the second half of the 19th century, and there were tons of them. It was cheap printing, and, and and there were a lot of them, especially ladies' magazines, what they would have called ladies' magazines, and they were all hungry for content. And so just like the media does now, around September or October, they'd be looking for interesting things to put in the paper, and they often came up with an old Robert Burns poem called Halloween that detailed all the things that happened on Halloween in Highland, Scotland. And people read that in newspapers and said, we could do that. We could do that at a party. It would be great. We'll play the same games. We'll decorate the same. We'll put up corn stalks. We'll we'll basically bring the outside inside for party decorations. And those were the first Halloween parties. Are you like me? You're scrolling through Facebook and uh, somebody inevitably posts a picture of like kids in Halloween costumes from around 1910 or 1915. And you look at those things and man, they are far creepier than anything I've I've seen in the last 20 years for sure. Right. I mean, they're creepy. They are creepy. And, you know, that's for, for two reasons. Number one, Halloween was always the time when the other world 
was around. The supernatural was around. And we don't know what that looks like. We can only imagine it. And you can see it imagined in those masks. And the other reason was that Halloween was first and foremost tricks and mischief. And so your early costumes, all handmade, had to be disguises. You wanted to hide who you were while you were out um, breaking gates and setting fires or chalking chucking houses or spilling tar on front steps and things that they were doing back then. You had to hide your identity. So costumes were disguises, and they were creepy disguises to a large point. The, um, you know, we look at our calendar and we look at the major observances. Uh, we call them holidays generally, Christmas, Easter, whatever they happen to be, and there's a religious connection to them. And Halloween really isn't any different from what I understand. It really started with for some pagan uh, connections, but then it was, I think, co-opted or adopted in some fashion by the Catholic Church along the way. So there is a bit of a uh, religious connection um, of Halloween as well, right? Absolutely. In its origin. And what happened was that um, this time of year known as Samhain or Summer's End in um, northwestern Europe was a time, it was the beginning of winter. So it was the beginning of the dark, dangerous season. And at that time, people would imagine that the world was filled with supernatural spirits. The church put, um, the Catholic Church put November 1st, All Saints Day, and November 2nd, All Souls Day, kind of around that time. Maybe to co-opt it, or maybe because that was a time that everybody already knew to celebrate, so they would remember these church holidays. But the church holidays, the saints was about, you know, that gave Halloween its name. All Saints Day is also known as All Hallows, so Halloween would be All Hallows' Eve. But All Souls' Day gave it its mojo, because that was the day to remember the dead. So you have this kind of older idea of that the supernatural is present, and then the church comes along and reinforces it, saying this is a time to honor our dead. So those things are very much part of the genesis of what happens at this time of year. But right around the 15th, 16th century, Halloween kind of broke off from that, in that it was the eve of these church holidays. So like Mardi Gras is to Lent, Halloween is the secular, fun, festive part and then the serious church holidays come next. So it became a secular, separate holiday in, in Scotland and Ireland, you know, around 1500, 1600, and you can see it in their literature and their folklore, and that's the holiday that we have now. That's, it's a secular holiday now. In your research and the amount of uh, time you've spent studying this particular subject, have you found any reason to believe that there is actually some type of spiritual connection to the other side, a thinning of the veil, if you will, other than the fact that we're all thinking about it. Is there something unique about either Halloween specifically or this time of year? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I would say we think about it at this time of year and for many reasons, and that modern pagans certainly think about it at this time. There's They're Contemporary Samhain, their Halloween, is definitely about remembering the dead. And many churches think about it at this time of year. And like Catholic Church, say, Day of the Dead in Mexico, that focused on this. But from all of the ghost hunters that I've talked to, spirit activity does not spike at Halloween. (laughs) So we're thinking about them. They may not be thinking about us. If you had to describe or uh, detail what you would consider to be the perfect Halloween night, what would it be? Oh, you know, 
that's great. I think if I could do anything, um, I would I would be in several places at once. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would try to be in Mexico. I've never been to the Day of the Dead, and I'd always wanted to go. I would be in Anoka, Minnesota, which is the self-proclaimed Halloween capital of the world, and the pictures from it look fantastic. I would love to be there. And I would be at the Greenwich Village Parade in New York City watching that massive Halloween parade um, go up 6th Avenue. I think it is. And then, if I still had time, I would find a hayride, and I would go through a haunted hayride. Well, how does the rest of the world observe Halloween, or do they? Do they observe it at all? When, if you're thinking about our Halloween, trick-or-treating masks and costumes, that's particularly American. But the rest of the world does do similar things. For example, where Halloween came from in Ireland and Scotland, they, they also have a Halloween. Yes, they do. And it's become very commercialized as we're exporting our pumpkins and costumes to them. And you'll, you'll find people grousing over there about how American Halloween has become when it was, it was their holiday. And then Halloween has been exported to places all over the world because it's, it's kind of seen as an American youth culture thing now that young adults love the costumes, the dressing up, the exhibitionism, the, you know, the, the, um, I don't know, just outrageousness of it. So wherever there's a culture that really likes American youth culture, like Japan or Hong Kong, uh, you see Halloween starting to make inroads in there. We have uh, a lot of traditions that seem to follow particular times of year and, and specific holidays. You know, Christmas, we put up Christmas trees. Um, Easter, we've got the Easter bunny. When it comes to Halloween, there are things like, obviously, trick-or-treating, uh, carving pumpkins. Where do those things come from? Well, carving pumpkins, that's, that's interesting because there were carved pumpkins here in America before there was Halloween, like pumpkins with faces. It started as a trick that kids would do in the 1800s. They'd find an extra pumpkin in the field. There are tons of pumpkins around this country. And they would carve, carve a face in it, put a candle in it, but then hang it on a stick and float it in front of a farmer's window or a Ooh. neighbor's window. Ooh. <laughs> scare like the daylights that. out of them and run away. And that, because... Um, it was all about this thing that appeared and then disappeared. It was given the name jack-o'-lantern, which is really the name of a light that appears and disappears around marshes and swamp gas. It's kind of like um, St. Elmo's fire out in the ocean. It's just a, it's a scientific phenomenon, but it was called the jack-o'-lantern trick because it appeared and, dis- and disappeared. And um, that existed before Halloween existed. Um, it was used as a Halloween decoration when Halloween arrived and people started to throw parties and it became a natural part of decorating pumpkins, squash, corn stalks, and carved pumpkins. But they carved them on Thanksgiving too for a good long while into the 20th century. And then, um, trick-or-treating you asked about. Yeah, trick-or-treating. Obviously, that's something that we all enjoyed, or most of us did anyway. When did that start? That started in this country about the 1930s, so again, it's fairly young. Until then, there were town-wide parties, there were parades, people had all sorts of different ways of celebrating Halloween, Um, but one of the main tenets of it was mischief, and kids would be out egging, egging cars and toilet paper and 
trees and doing all sorts of mischief. And it kind of got out of hand in the 30s. So um, people, adults, started to try to figure out how are we going to tamp this down. And they had lots of different ideas, have lots of parties, bring the kids indoors in the light. Um, have radio contests where they have to be home at a certain time to win a prize. But the the thing that won out was trick-or-treat, where a neighborhood got together and had candy at the ready. So when the kids came and banged on their doors or started throwing things at their doors, they could open them up and offer candy. And it gradually spread coast to coast with a lot of help from the media because mm, at first people were confused about it. It was like, What? I have to have that's extortion, but gradually <laughs> over time it became known as something that everybody enjoyed. It, yeah, it sounds a little bit like like bribery or something along those lines, which makes it kind of funny. But it is it is a uh, uh, you know it's a, a harmless and certainly a, a rite of passage for for children. Um, there's been a, I have to ask you this question. There's been a lot of talk recently about changing the day of Halloween to make it, I don't know what they're talking about, the last Saturday of October right. or whatever it is. What are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts on that are um, I'm not a very conservative person by nature, but on that I say, no, October 31st is Halloween. And I suspect the motives. I have a feeling it has to do more with commerce than actual celebration. So I would I'm I'm in the camp of leave it on the 31st, no matter if it is convenient, inconvenient when it happens during a weekday. Yeah, I'm with you on both of those points. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with a community saying, you know, uh, Halloween is Tuesday and we're going we're going to, uh, you know, endorse trick or treating this Saturday. But Halloween's still Tuesday. That's uh, right. Halloween know. is Tuesday. Whatever you want to do with your town is fine. And actually, the facts just don't don't work as far as. The reasoning behind moving it to a Saturday and that it'll be safer didn't really make any sense because the main problem on Halloween is drunk driving. And mm. if you put Halloween on the last Saturday of October, you're putting trick-or-treating with some yeah. opportunity for accidents. Yeah, so. that, that sounds like a bad recipe. I'm going to put mm. you on the spot a little bit here. I, one of the books that you've written, and by the way, I should mention there are several uh, Halloween books that you've written, including Halloween, An American Holiday, and American History. Um, but one of them is called uh, Halloween Reader Poems, Stories, and Plays from Halloween Past. Do you Can you recall a, a, a cute, maybe short Halloween story that you can share with us? Again, putting you on the spot here. Wow. You know, the stories in that book are fairly long. It's the poems that are short, and I'm afraid I cannot recite them from heart. How about, you know, one of the things that uh, always fascinates me, and I don't know if this is just synchronicities or coincidences or whatever it happens to be, but there are there are connections of Halloween to some pretty interesting events, and one of them is the death of Harry Houdini and uh, the fact that um, he had promised to uh, send messages from the other side uh, to his wife with a coded message, and he promised to do that on Halloween, and they've been holding seances ever since. And from what I understand, uh, there was a, a point where they thought they had a message, but then it turned out to be a hoax and whatever. Uh, but there are some pretty interesting stories related to things like that and Halloween. There are, and that is a good one. I mean, it was kind of just a coincidence that he happened to die on Halloween, and Houdini spent a good part of his life debunking people yeah. who 
would claim to talk to spirits. And so it made perfect sense for him to tell his wife, you know, okay, I will try my best to come back. And if anybody could come back, if anybody could escape death, it was it was him. And they did hold seances. His, his widow held them um, annually. And I guess they were very um, kind of powerful affairs. And they'd wait and they'd wait and they'd wait. And she she did it for, I think, 10 years. And then she said, okay, that's it. He's not coming. But then magicians um, kept it up. And they also have over his grave every year uh, a broken wand ceremony to to acknowledge the passing of Houdini. And um, the code words were, I think, Rosamond Believe or Rosabelle Believe, but never did come through, to the, much to the disappointed, although they keep hope, their hopes up. I mean, I've talked to magicians that say, you never know. Yeah, and, and be this year. <laughs> yeah, and, and in fact, I know there's a, a Houdini museum, and I'm sure there's more than just one, but there's one in Pennsylvania that still holds the seance every year, um, and they they make quite a spectacle of it. I can imagine yeah. um, why. Yeah. Um, so as as we kind of wind up our discussion here, um, do you see any trends uh, now that we're in a digital age, a social media age, that may be changing the way we observe Halloween? I think that's a fascinating question, and I'm not sure how much our digitalness will affect this because at the core, you have to put on a costume and go outside, and if you're a child, you have to go house to house and ask for candy, and you just can't do that online. You can't PayPal the candy, right? You can't, you can't PayPal. <laughs> you can get an awful lot more selfies, and you can make yourself much more public now, and um, costume costumes you know, costumes are great and they're inventive and creative and sexy and outrageous and everything. And so Halloween gets a lot more visual play, but you still have to actually go out and do it. So I don't yet see a change. You know, I love the uh, uh, macabre side of Halloween and the spooky side. That's really where I am now. Um, I think back as a kid, and I wish that uh, we had uh, cameras more, not that they weren't accessible, but they were much different than they are today um, when you had to put film in them and have the film develop. Because I remember wearing, you know, my Bionic Man costume, my Batman costume. And I'm trying to think if I ever had a scary one. I think they were all TV characters when I was a kid. Um, but the macabre side is kind of the interesting side. I love uh, when Turner Classic Movies shows classic horror films like Frankenstein and Dracula and all that, and that's the way I really enjoyed. I prefer to sit home and watch those films than I do to go to a party and, and be more social. I don't know. Maybe that's a little weird. I don't think you're alone in that. I think people love going back to that sort of indoors cocooning with a great Halloween movie. I think that's a perfectly fine way to celebrate Halloween. So you must, uh, this time of year, probably talk so much that you're on the verge of losing your voice because, uh, you know, it's it's pretty intense season. But I appreciate you coming on the show tonight with us. Any final thoughts? Of course, your website is iSkullHalloween.com. Um, your books are all listed there, right? They are, yes. And where are they available? Um, any online bookstore, or it might even be in your local bookstore. Any uh, last-minute Halloween words for our listeners? You know, a lot of 
times people ask me, how can you spend so much of your time thinking about something so dark? Mm -hmm. To your point about how you like the spooky side of it. And um, I've just never seen Halloween as dark. And I just recently heard Joe Hill say something which I thought was wonderful. It wasn't about Halloween, but it was about his horror books. But he said, it's like you kick the darkness so hard until it bleeds light. <laughs> that's what I think about Halloween. It's like it's not dark. It's the way it brings a little light into the darkness because you got wrap your arms around it and and understand it for a night. So that's one of the reasons I also love Halloween. That's a great perspective. Leslie, thank you so much for being with us tonight and thank you uh for the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.